The reading this morning is from Romans 8, verses 18 through 30. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. That the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who are the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called, and those whom he, also, whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. This is the word of the Lord. As an adult, though, uh, I don't actually get as excited about Christmas presents as I used to. Uh, I, I think the reason is because I'm now the one who buys them, and so it's just really not that exciting. It's like, oh, yeah, I wrapped that. That's my shirt. I put that there. Um, but my kids, man, they're so excited. Like the last few days, Angel's been doing the exact same thing as me. She's been getting up and counting her gifts. She walked up to me and said, hey, what, one second, why does Jade have two more presents than us? And we're like, well, we're still wrapping them, and Amazon was kind of slow on that one specific toy. Sorry about that. Uh, but I remember looking at them just a few days ago, and I did the exact same thing my parents did, something I really, as a kid, I swore I would never do. I looked at them and said, you just have to be patient. You have to wait. We can't open gifts right now. We just have to be patient. And they looked at me and gave the exact same face I probably gave my parents, which was just like an angry, uh, frustrating face. And, uh, but I told them, hey, Christmas Day will arrive, you get to open your presents, and all will be good. You'll have everything that you're wanting, and you can be really excited. Uh, and as we're in Christmas time, this is really just a time period of patience and waiting, uh, for specifically for Jesus to come. And as I've been thinking about that through this period, I really think that the idea of patience, like waiting patiently, is a really big part of Christian life. And so today I'm going to talk about that in just three ways that as Christians we can learn to patiently wait and how that really changes the way we live. So my first point is going to be we can paint, wait, paint. We can wait patiently with expectation. My second point will be that we can wait patiently with hope. And my third point will be that we can wait patiently with confidence. But before we get all into that, let us break down the difference between patience and waiting. So uh, how many of you all have heard the expressions, patience is a virtue? Many of you all have heard that. Uh, it's a very common expression. I was actually looking to where this came from. It most likely came from an old Christian poem about 1,200 years ago. 
Uh, and the idea is basically saying that as we are patient, we become more Christ-like. Uh, I'm betting you've never heard someone say waiting is a virtue, because that doesn't make sense. Waiting and patience are not the same thing. They're not synonyms. But waiting, so like waiting is getting from point A to point B. You're just letting time pass. But patience is the way you act while you wait for that time to pass. So let's use some examples to kind of break this down. If I go to get coffee with my friend, and my friend shows up 20 minutes late, I just have to sit there and wait. Now, that's just me waiting, point A to point B, right? If I go to the doctor's office and I sit there and wait, I'm in the waiting room, and I'm having to go from point A to point B and wait. Now, I can wait in different styles, right? At the, at the coffee shop, I can sit there and just be like, where's my friend? Why is my friend late? He always does this. What a jerk. My coffee's getting cold. Ugh, and just be all angry. Or I can be like, hey, you know, maybe he had to like, spend some time with his family for a second. Maybe he got caught in traffic. You know, and this is a beautiful coffee shop. And there's like chill music playing. I can smell peppermint. It's just this great time. Or the same thing is true with like the waiting room, right? I can wait in the, the waiting room and see other people go in and be like, what the heck? That guy doesn't even look sick. He's faking it. You know, I have a real problem. Or I can be, uh, I can be like, hey, everyone here, they're trying to see a doctor. They all have something they're concerned about. I can patiently wait knowing that they also have needs and know that I will eventually get to the doctor. And so it's really important for us to remember that patience is about how we live in something we don't necessarily desire until we get to the point of something we do desire, right? Like, like patience is an active posture we take as we wait. Which brings me to our first point, is that Christians should wait patiently with expectation. So what does it mean to expect something? Generally, if we think about expectation, it means we assume that thing is going to happen, like we know it's going to happen. I am sadly a Texans football fan. I've watched them take the lead in the fourth quarter multiple times and then texted my dad and said, we're going to lose. Guess what? We normally do. I expect that to happen. That's my expectation. It's a sad expectation. Uh, but there's, you know, there's going to be other things that we can be expecting, which I'll get to in a bit. But if we really think about the Bible, you could actually argue that the whole story of the Bible is creation patiently waiting with expectation for Jesus. Like we think about the Old Testament, from the fall of man until Jesus' birth, creation is having to patiently wait, expecting the Messiah to come. And now us on the other side of Jesus' life, death, resurrection, and ascension, we are now patiently waiting and expecting him to return and usher forth his new kingdom. So just like we're in two little spots, they're exactly the same, where we wait patiently with expectation. I feel like this is best summed up uh, by Romans 8, verses, uh, verses 19 through 23. It says this, uh, For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. That the creation itself be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, we have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoptions of sons, the redemptions of our bodies. This verse points out exactly what I was saying. From the fall of man until Jesus' birth, it describes creation as if it is groaning as in the pains of childbirth. Now, I've never given birth to a child. That, that was, you know, that's pretty obvious. But uh, from what... Sorry, from what I know about it, it's supposed to be a fairly painful experience. Um, I, that might be putting it too light for you ladies, I apologize. But, um, and this is saying that all of creation is groaning, like 
crying out in the middle of creation, the fallen world, as if they're in that, that pain because they're waiting for Jesus to return. And then it goes forward to say, hey, even though we've already been adopted, we still are in the same place. We are crying out in the middle of the world we live in, the broken world of sin, as we wait for Jesus to come and return and bring forth his full kingdom. And when I think about this idea of patiently waiting with expectation, the first thing that really comes to my mind is a pregnancy. Like if, if, if a couple is pregnant, it's, it's huge. They, they expect their life to change, right? They go, hey, this baby's coming, and I'm going to change everything about my life. You start building a nursery, right? You have a shower. You start inviting people over. You start telling everyone about it. Like, hey, my baby is going to come. I'm pregnant. This is super exciting. And everyone is living their life differently because they, see, they expect something big. Uh, I feel like that's what we should be doing as Christians. As we look at our life, we expect Jesus to come. We should live our life differently. We shouldn't be slave to money or to power or prestige, but we should be living our life like Jesus taught us to, fully expecting his return, knowing that one day we'll be brought into his new kingdom. And as we live that way, as we expect that, uh, we start to hope. We start to hope in Jesus' return and his future restoration of the world. This actually brings me to my next point, which is we can wait patiently with hope. Now, uh, for those of y'all who don't know what I do uh, during my, for my job, uh, I'm a teacher. Uh, and I've actually been teaching kids for about 12 years, uh, roughly 2,000 kids, which I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but I've taught roughly 2,000 kids. And throughout my time as a teacher, people have asked me all the time, like, hey, what's the big thing that you see with kids these days? Like, what makes you, like, worried about the future? What are you, are you excited about? And, you know, the thing I, when I look at it now that I point out all the time is that my students have become wildly cynical. Uh, it's really, really hard to see. Uh, it's, it's, and it's, it's all the time. Like, I'm not being hyperbolic. I will ask them questions in class like, hey, this is our warm-up for the day. You know, being a good teacher, we have my warm-up. If you could do anything in the future, what would it be? And the answers are often just depressing. Like one kid, I remember him raising his hand. I called on him, actually. He wouldn't raise his hand. And he was like, uh, it's like, it doesn't matter. I just need to make money. It doesn't matter what I do. You know, I had another kid I called on her, and she said, well, I'm a minority woman, so my future doesn't exist. That was a true quote in my classroom. I had another kid say, the world's going to end in 10 years because of climate catastrophe, so who cares? And I was just like, whoa, like, this is really dark in here, guys, you know, and and it's, it's crazy because this is just the worldview they're taking on. And it's, and, it's, and it's terrifying to me because it's not that they're just being cynical. It's like they like being cynical. It's like if you say, hey, I'm hoping in this thing. I'm, I'm desiring this thing deeply. It's like you're afraid of being called naive or a sucker. It's like we take pride in our cynicism. And I wish I could say I just see this with kids, but unfortunately, I'm also starting to see this with adults I hang out with. Literally two days ago, I hung out with a friend, and I said, how's it going? And he told me all about this really hard stuff. And I go, wow, I just feel like this is all so common these days. And he goes, yeah. He said to me, it feels like humanity is out of sync right now, like we're all just not clicking right. And that's just so sad. We see people just losing hope. They start feeling like their life is meaningless. They start saying like, oh, you know, uh, my political party, they lost. It's over. The world's going to end. America's done. You know, there's people like, oh, I didn't get that job. Doesn't matter. Or, oh, I'm poor. I have no options. I have no choice. Like, we, people are taking on this meaningless, hopeless worldview. Uh, and that really sticks out with actually quite an alarming statistic. Um, did you guys know that in America, since 2014, the life expectancy of our country has been declining? So that is nine straight years of declining life expectancy. Now, you might be thinking, well, there's a pandemic, but that was uh, only three years ago, so for six years before that, 
our life expectancy was declining. Uh, and so, like, what's going on there? That should be quite like a canary in a coal mine kind of situation. Like, why is it that the wealthiest country on the planet is having its life expectancy shrink uh, for nine straight years? Uh, so, from the people I've researched and read about this, the thing they point out is this concept of something called a death of despair. Now, if you don't know what that is, that means that there's people who are younger than the average age of death who are choosing to drink themselves to death, uh, overdose on drugs, or commit suicide. And we're actually seeing this number uh, quite alarmingly. It's about 200,000 Americans every single year will die from this. Uh, it's increased by double, it's doubled since uh, 1997, and it's going to increase next year as well. So most likely in 2024, there'll be another 200,000 Americans who will die from these types of deaths. And then people, and when you look at this, the question you should ask is, why is this happening, right? Like, why is it that 200,000 people are gonna have this occur? And most people who research, I mean, it's obviously very complicated, but the people who research this, many of them pointed out that these people feel hopeless. They feel like their life has no meaning. Uh, they often isolate themselves and are completely alone. They have no community, and they're just a person who's trying to make it on their own, feeling like life is meaningless, and it just starts feeling like there's no reason to really live it. Uh, and I know that as I say this to you, you might start to lose hope as well, right? I'm talking about, hey, we're all losing hope right now. And then I'm like, and here's why everything's hopeless. Like, you might be like, thanks, Zane. I already have to hear about the news, about all the wars and the violence and the political issues and everything that pops up constantly. Now you're telling me that 200,000 Americans are going to die. Great. But the thing I'm trying to get at is we shouldn't lose hope. We as Christians should always have hope because we know that Jesus is going to come back and make everything that is dark good. It's going to take us from brokenness into fixing us. It's going to be good and beautiful and glorious. I think the best way to summarize this is in Romans 8, chapter 24. It says, For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. This verse is saying that even like we know Jesus is coming back, we may not see it, but we can patiently wait knowing that he is going to return, he will reestablish his kingdom, and he will right all the wrongs in the world. Uh, for those of y'all who don't know, uh, tomorrow is the winter solstice. Uh, this means tomorrow is, in fact, the darkest day of the year. Uh, Christmas Day, if y'all didn't know, is the darkest day of the year. Now, there's some leap year stuff that happens. It's not always perfect, but it's supposed to be the darkest day of the year. That means that every single night you've been going to bed, it's been getting darker. And I've noticed this a lot. I've been taking my dog for a walk, and like the winter breeze is blowing on me, and the leaves are falling from the trees, and it's just dark outside. I'm like, golly, it just feels dark and miserable out here. Uh, but think about this. The moment it gets to the darkest day, what do we celebrate? Jesus' birth. On Christmas Day, the darkest day of the year, Jesus is born, and for the next six months, we have light. It starts to increase in light every single day, all the way to the summer solstice. Like, think about spring. Life emerges out of this darkness, and we go into this fun and beautiful time. The sun is shining, and the grass is green, and we can just see light entering into darkness. I think that is the absolute perfect like, analogy for Jesus. Like right when life was darkest, he was born into it. In the middle of a dark, terrible world, he came in. And now he is coming back. He is bringing light every single day to our lives. And, we, and he will one day return, bringing his whole kingdom. Now, guys, we should be people who hope in that. And we shouldn't just be people who hold on to that for ourselves. We should give that hope out to people. We should be telling people that Jesus is returning, that we don't have to live meaningless lives, that we don't have to live hopeless lives, because Jesus has already made the way. He's already forgiven us from our sins. He's going to come back, and everything that's dark will be fixed. 
we can actually have great confidence that when Jesus returns, all things will be made new. And so this is going to bring us to our next point, which is uh, that we can wait patiently with confidence. So as we wait, we can have confidence that Jesus is going to return and make this world better. And so uh, this is really easily summed up with one of my famous, uh, favorite verses and one of the most famous passages in all of Scripture, uh, which is Romans 8, 28. It says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purposes. Now, this is an amazing verse for a lot of reasons. I think a lot of people really like to focus on the first half, talking about how those who love God, all things work together for good, which is great and amazing. Uh, But I want to focus on the second half just for a little bit here. Uh, It says, for those who are called according to his purposes. This means we are called according to his purposes. That We are called into a partnership with him as he is making all things good. Like, think about how that changes your mind and the way you view the world. If we believe that God is restoring the world, he is coming back, we have hope in that, but as he comes back, he's actually partnering with us to restore the world as we live. Like, every moment of our lives should no longer be mundane, right? Like, there is nothing we do that we can't say, hey, I'm partnering with God to restore the earth in this. Like, let me, let me think here for a second. I'm a teacher, right? Uh, I mentioned this already. What are teachers known for? complaining, right? No offense to anyone else as a teacher, but you know it's true. You've probably been to like a happy hour somewhere and you've heard them loudly yelling about kids while drinking a margarita. Like that's happened. You've seen it, all right? And it's the same things you hear all the time, right? It's, I don't get paid enough. My kids don't listen. They don't respect me. My administration, when was the last time they were in a classroom? They want me to write what on the board? That's ridiculous. Like they just it's the rants, right? It's the cynicism. We come just like the kids I mentioned. Everything's awful. This job is pointless. It's hard and meaningless. But if you stop and think about this through the lens of God, we start saying, hey, Jesus is making things new, and I'm partnering with him in doing that. I can have confidence in that. Uh, it changes entirely, right? I can say, hey, when I wake up and I go to school, I'm going into the darkness of Fort Worth, and I'm getting to be a light to kids here. I'm getting to steward kids from the time they're freshmen until they're seniors to become the future generation of Fort Worth. I get to be a part of God's renewal for my community and bring people into his kingdom. That is beautiful. That is amazing. That's a story we should all live by. Now, I say that, and I fully realize that sometimes I go to school and it's just terrible, right? Like, we've all had our job, and you're like, that was the worst day I've ever had. You go home and you're like, I don't ever want to teach again or, or do my job again. This was terrible. And I get those days occur, but we have to continue to remember where we are. We have to remember that God is telling us we have to be patient, that he's going to return, but we have to wait. We have to expect his return. We have to have hope in his return, but at times it's going to be hard. But that doesn't mean that it's not going to happen. It doesn't mean that the darkness is winning. It doesn't mean the world is over, that Jesus is lost. Jesus is still going to return. He is still going to bring his kingdom. He is still going to make all things that are broken new again. And we can have extreme confidence in that. We can have confidence in ourselves as we work with him to bring that reality into focus. Like that is a beautiful, amazing thing that we should all try to remember more in our lives. Uh, so tomorrow... We celebrate the most amazing of miracles, right? We celebrate Jesus coming into the earth that is in complete sin and being a light to it, being born in this earth so that he may one day save us. What an amazing gift that is. I hope that as you guys get together with your family, you just feel that. You feel the joy that comes with that uh, as Jesus is coming into our world. 
uh, I th as we do this, as we know, sorry, one second, uh, as he comes in, we know that he's going to come again. He came this earth, he died, he rose again, he ascended into heaven, and he will return. He will come back and have and remake the earth in his image. And that is a great, amazing promise that we can patiently wait for. Even when life feels dark, even when it feels hard, we can have hope in that, we can expect it to happen, and we can have confidence in him that he is making a difference in our life. So um, that's the main thing I want to say today, guys. Have trust in the Lord. Know in the midst of all things he is there. And I pray that his joy is just overflowing with you guys as you go through this holiday, uh, through Christmas and New Year's. Um, Merry Christmas, guys. Uh, let me close this in prayer. Uh, Lord, we thank you so much uh, for you. Uh, we thank you so much for your promises. We thank you that you love us enough that you would come to earth to save us, uh, that you will make a way for us to be a part of your kingdom and your future. Lord, we thank you for just the peace that that brings, even in the midst of hardship, that in a dark world that we live in, filled with sin and pain, we can still have confidence in you, knowing that you love us and that you're with us and that you are just consistently bringing light into the darkness. Uh, thank you so much for everything. Be with us throughout these next weeks. Give us safety as we travel. Uh, give us patience as we're with family. And let us just honor you with our lives. It's in your name we pray. Amen.